Hello and welcome into the Gotta Be Saints podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Gotta. Join me each week as I tackle life's most important question, how do I become a saint? Today's podcast is titled, Meeting Sister Rita Claire. Hey sister, how's it going? Great, Brendan. Great to be with you. So I have the great honor of having Sister on today. I actually asked her probably right when I decided I wanted to have a podcast, which was close to a year ago, and we're finally here. We finally made it. She's a very busy woman. I'm going to let her tell you about herself, so there's not going to be a big bio. I'm just going to tell you how we kind of got to know each other. When I was at Franciscan, I had the great pleasure of going to Jamaica with sister at what twice three times I don't know how many times twice Twice. okay so she was there for two of the four trips that I was there and one time in particular we got to go to the same town and wreak havoc Um, and we had a priest with us father Rick and between the three of us and then the rest of the group it was a a lot of fun no doubt I think we also did some good work but that's a little blurry um but anyway, I wanted to uh, definitely have Sister on. She's a hoot and a holler, but also a super holy woman whose story is awesome. So I'm going to let her kind of share her story, and then we're going to do some questions that you, the listener, submitted, and then we'll go from there. So, Sister, if you want to just kind of talk a little bit about yourself and how you became Sister Rita Claire. Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, my first, my favorite memories from our Jamaica trips uh, with Brendan were um, somebody losing one of the odds uh, game and having to slap somebody with raw bacon on their back. Brendan, were you involved in that? I I was not. I was a bystander, thankfully, but Peter Tremblay. Shout out to Peter Tremblay. Yeah. And then Peter Tremblay also riding a goat. Um, And then, um, yeah. Um, I do admit and confess that I called Sister Rabuni, Sister Abubu, to her face, <laughs> except for she was driving, so I didn't really have to look her in the eyes when I did it. <laughs> if, if you guys have listened to past episodes, I talked about this a couple episodes ago, but long story short, we played What Are the Odds, Sister lost, and so she had to call a nun that we constantly, as a team, got her name wrong a name that was not hers. And this beautiful sister just responded with love and like a big smile as we all just laughed because we're immature. immature. I was going to say not good people, but your immature is probably a better word. Yeah. She, she was okay. She'll survive. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I um, grew up Catholic, going to Catholic grade school and Catholic high school. And I actually had Franciscan sisters that taught me, um, I never really thought about being a sister, but I remember saying in eighth grade, if I'm going to be a sister, I'm going to be a cool, young, fun sister. I think because all the sisters that taught me were awesome and beautiful and holy, and I obviously didn't appreciate them as much as I should have, but they, um, yeah, were older, and so I didn't interact with them very much. And um, going on to high school, I um, excelled in basketball and um, won two state championships in basketball and played volleyball, soccer, softball, and golf also in high school and played travel basketball like year round. So um, So you're pretty good is what you're saying. (laughs) Well, not only that, but I didn't have much time for God except for, you know, 
little prayers at the foul line when one of my teammates was shooting a free throw and I was hoping we'd win by one point um, or maybe prayers at a meal. But my family didn't eat meals very often together because um, we were all playing sports. My dad was my coach in most of the sports I played. And um, yeah, all my best friends played all those sports. I'm still best friends with all of them. And um, eventually ended up getting a Division One scholarship to play basketball in the University of Detroit Mercy. It's a Jesuit college also run by Mercy Nuns. And we had a, a Dominican sister as our president. Um, but again, I, I, was, I was going to a Catholic college, but I didn't even know it was a Catholic college. My grandma told me that I was the first grandchild to go to a Catholic college. And I was like, I'm going to a Catholic college? I didn't even know that. I just knew I was going there for basketball. So um, I did know that they had mass on campus, which I was excited about that because I didn't have a car. Um, but yeah, I wasn't going there to look into my faith or learn about Catholicism. Because it was a Catholic college, we had to take two religions and a philosophy or two philosophies and a religion that I, you know, begrudgingly took. And I didn't take this class on Catholicism by this amazing Jesuit because I knew, I thought I knew everything about Catholicism. Um, so I took world religions and um, pretty sure my professor was high all the time and I definitely didn't learn anything. And then I took philosophy of women and that kind of took me down a bad road because it was just so, um, you know, feminist, the women are caged birds that are, um, you know, so tortured and not allowed to do anything. And, you know, I started believing all these things because I didn't have, my biggest regret in college is not getting a role model to walk me through life and to spiritually mentor me um, because I knew what I believed in high school, but I didn't know why I believed it about the Catholic faith. And I didn't have anyone to explain it to me or to mentor me. And um, all of my basketball teammates were Protestant, Baptist, and they would question me on the faith. Um, they knew more about the Bible than I did though. And um, yeah, I started just kind of getting beat down by the culture and by their questions and by the differences. And I just didn't know the answers to any of those things, but I didn't seek the answers from anyone. Um, and so, yeah, I played four years of Division One basketball, um, probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but I don't regret it and I wouldn't have wanted to go through college not doing it. And um, I ended up tearing my ACL and also my family's house burnt down um, the summer before my junior year in college. And so two big pivotal things happening to me in the middle of my college career where I realized that things don't matter because all of my things burnt down were gone. And then also my identity was my basketball career. And all of a sudden that was taken from me with my ACL injury. And so, yeah, a big searching time where I bought a Bible and started reading the scriptures every night before I went to bed. And um, yeah, I started leaning on God more, but again, I had no one to talk to about it. No good community around me, no mentor. Um, so it was really just me and my Bible at night before I went to bed. Um, and then I got my degree in sports medicine, so um, I wanted to be an athletic trainer or a strength and conditioning coach. And so after college, I went to the University of Notre Dame to be a strength and conditioning coach with the athletes there. And so I worked with all of the athletes and all the teams doing preventative um, training for them um, so that they wouldn't get injured. And I found out I liked that better than athletic training because that it, athletic training, you're kind of waiting for them to get injured, where strength and conditioning, you're on the front lines preventing all of that. So I loved what I did at Notre Dame. And then I, um, but I actually started like partying like a maniac at Notre Dame because I wasn't playing division one sports anymore. And so I had them on my hands and I didn't feel like I had to perform with my body anymore. 
kind of felt like my body didn't matter anymore. And so, um, yeah, kind of going down a bad road in that way, but also like praying at the grotto like every day that I could too. So it was a very weird um, dynamic of fasting on a weekly basis and was um, still reading my Bible every night, watching televangelists. Um, so yeah, I just didn't know right from wrong and I didn't know how bad um, drunkenness is and how bad I would fall into it too. And, and just, yeah, had had friends that encouraged it instead of called me up out of that. And so um, worked one year at Notre Dame and then went home to Detroit to open up a facility with my coach from college. And we trained um, kids, college kids, high school kids, youth, junior high kids, and then adults um, just on speed, agility, and weight training. And so um, did that for eight years and absolutely loved that too. Um, I loved kicking, uh, kicking boys' butts and yelling at them and getting in their face. And they had a lot of choice names for me. Um, they also didn't want to um, look, look weak in the face of a woman. So they, they had to go extra hard when I was yelling at them. Um, <laughs> and it was um, during these years that I started playing women's professional football. So when I was at Notre Dame, I was out at the bar one night, we were singing karaoke and somebody came over the mic and said, women's professional football tryouts are coming to South Bend, Indiana this week. And while we were, yeah, drinking and whatever, hanging out, me and my friends looked at each other and we're like, we've got to go to that. Like, we've got to do this. This sounds amazing. When I was a kid, <laughs> me and my brother would run home from mass every Sunday just to turn on American Gladiators, um, that TV show. I don't know if you guys know it, but it came back around a couple of years ago. But I wanted to be on American Gladiators like my whole life. And when I heard, I also kind of complained that women couldn't play football. And I refused to learn the game or watch the game because women couldn't play. So I was like, what's the point of me trying to figure out what's happening and what's going on on the field if I'm never going to do this? So I just went to like my brother's football games. He played in college at Grand Valley State University um, and his high school games and just to socialize, but I really wanted no part in the sport. And uh, when I heard about the tryouts, I was like, okay, I've complained my whole life that women aren't allowed to play at one and two, um, this is close to being an American gladiator. So I should probably go to this tryout. But when I went to the tryout, they asked me like what I, what position I wanted to play. And I didn't know any of the positions except for quarterback. So I put quarterback so really I had no idea what I was doing some girls kind of grew up playing like flag or you know what do you call it um like when you play video games what's it called Madden I guess Madden yeah I mean yeah, Madden like these some of these girls knew everything about football and um yeah I knew nothing but I loved being coached I loved that we got to hit each other and there were no fouls you didn't get kicked out of the game for like tripping somebody so it was a dream come true. I was like, this is amazing. You get rewarded for knocking someone over. Like, I usually got yelled at in basketball for doing that. So <laughs> had a blast doing that and then moved to Detroit. Well, actually, we were 0-8 in South Bend, so that was kind of rough. But um, moved to Detroit, and they had just won the national championship. And so I started playing for the Detroit Demolition, played for five years, and we won four national championships. Um, we only lost one game. We were 52-1. and And um, – we lost uh, the, the national championship game, my last game. So I retired on a loss because I decided it was time to go out humbled. Um, I needed to be humbled because we really thought we were invincible and that we were just the best thing in the world. Well, yeah, we would win games like by 75 points, 100 points. Like we just were destroying people. And nobody had played football before. So there's no reason we should have been that much better than everyone else. But we had an amazing coach that um, played 
the back, defensive back at University of Michigan, Tony Blankenship, and he just was, yeah, he was just awesome. And we had a lot of awesome athletes on the team. Who did you lose to? We lost to the Atlanta Thrashers in Long Beach, California, 14 to 17. And we had beat them 42 to, I think, 17 or 14 at their home turf early that year. So I think How many of those? The game. Go ahead. How many of those touchdowns were yours, both? Uh, no, but I played fullback, so I led the little I led the little running backs into the uh, end zone. Um, yeah, we well, I remember you told up. me one year you had like ten touchdowns or something. You had all. Yeah, I had eleven touchdowns in two thousand five, and this is two thousand six. And you know okay. that's probably why we lost. They didn't give the ball to me. But anyways, um, <laughs> truly. <laughs> um, yeah, so the 2005 National Championship, I had um, at least two touchdowns in the National Championship at 11 that year. Um, so, yeah, I think we just went in cocky because we had already beaten them and thought there was this was going to be no problem. And then uh, two turnovers later, and it's a tie game. And then we, we honestly, went out. I know. We honestly could have scored um, in the last two minutes, and we were about three yards away. It, Man, you know, lost they messed us. up by not giving you the ball. Losses still leave a bitter taste in my mouth, you know. As someone who remembers his intramural games, I get it. And that's (laughs) a lot less significant. Yeah, so, um, yeah, upon entering the convent, I had to learn to be a little less competitive, a little less physical and rough. Um, But I'm still competitive, physical, and rough. Um, So, yeah. Love it. I um I dated two young men while I was playing women's professional football and honestly that really helped me discern my vocation because it was in between dating them that I kept feeling the Lord was calling me and I had to make choices because of what was in front of me what was in my face and um it honestly helped um seeing I guess the other side so um, the first time I felt my calling, I was 24 years old and I was in Rome in Assisi with my mom on a pilgrimage. And honestly, I talked about drunkenness and how it was a big, big, um, I guess you could say problem for me. I, I got so drunk in Rome the night before we were going to Assisi. Um, they just handed you bottles of wine at dinner and then we decided to keep going out after that. And um, my mom pretty much had to rip me off of a guy from Sweden's motorcycle because I was trying to take off. And um, the next morning we had to get up at like six in the morning to go to Assisi and get on like a bus and go through like the hills of country to Assisi. Mm. And I'm on this pilgrimage bus with a priest and um, <laughs> all these old people, older people who have the money and the time to go on pilgrimages. And um, I barfed like three times on the tour bus. And I was like, who does this? Who goes on a pilgrimage and barfs and brings out on this pilgrimage bus? I You'd do. be surprised. Or maybe actually now you probably wouldn't, wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> and so I get to Assisi and I can't even like look up at the frescoes of St. Francis, who's my patron father. I'm a Franciscan, T-O-R. Um, I couldn't receive the Eucharist, just was not in a state of grace. And um, we walk across town to um, St. Clair's Basilica. And the tour guide says, you know, in this church is the cross that spoke to St. Francis and said, Francis, rebuild my church. And 
we're going all around Rome learning about all these the saint stuff. You know, it's kind of funny that this is a saint podcast. I was like, what is all this saint stuff? It's all weird and crazy, and these people are nuts um, going and looking at these bodies and stuff like that. I didn't really believe any of it and believed it happened. And um, so I said to God, I said, God, if you really spoke to St. Francis through this cross, why don't you speak to me and say something to me? Like, come on, this is, this is, I don't believe this stuff. So I go in there and kneel in front of the cross and pray and nothing happens, but we come out of the church. And I think I was really at that time like begging the Lord to say something because I knew I was um, kind of like, toting both lines. I had one foot in the bar and one foot in the church and I was loving both and I wasn't willing to give up one or the other. And I come out of the church and all the poor Claire nuns are outside the church locking the doors for, from the tourists. And I hear the Lord say to me, you should do this. You could do this as I'm looking at the nuns. And I was like, do what? Become a nun? Are you crazy? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I just did last night? Do you know who, what I've done in my life? Like you've got the wrong person. You're crazy. No. But that like tugging on my heart would not go away. And um, yeah, the Lord just kept giving me signs. And, and every night when I would try to pray and go to bed, it would just come up. You have a calling, you have a vocation. I tried to party more so that I could forget about it and pretend like it didn't happen. And that didn't work. Running away from it just did not work. And um, you know, I was already, I was going to confession. I had a reversion when I was 23 to go back to confession for the first time in, um, in 10 years. And, uh, so I started going to confession once a month, um, tried breaking free from habitual sin, started reading my Bible every night, daily readings before mass and was going to adoration and daily mass, um, on a regular basis. Um, I was challenged by somebody to pray in front of the blessed sacrament for five minutes every day. And, um, after that, I couldn't get enough. I just went back every day. And so, you know, I, I was going through a conversion, but I was not ready or willing to give up my whole life for the Lord. I was like, plus I just didn't think God could call someone like me. I'm like, that's crazy. Like I'm playing women's professional football and like, I'm nuts. Like you can't make, you can't call me to be a sister. Um, but after about six months of wrestling with that, I was like, you know, what? I've got to just go check this out and make sure I heard the Lord wrong. And then we can just check this off my list and be done with it. So I went and visited some Dominican sisters in Michigan because they were right by my house and it was a 24 hour retreat. Nobody would have to know I was there. And I get there and I actually like it. It's actually beautiful. And there's actually other women in the world discerning religious life. And I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Okay, Lord, I'm open to this, but I'm also open to marriage. I'm actually still hoping for marriage, but I'm also open to this now. And yeah, dated for the next six months. And after about six months of that, I just knew the Lord was calling me to religious life. And so I surrendered in my heart and I said, Lord, I'll do this. If this is what you want me to do, I'll do this. But I didn't go visit more communities. I didn't get a spiritual director. I just surrendered in my heart to him. And then two months later, I met a young man who was very into his faith and not afraid or ashamed to proclaim it. And he asked me out and I was like, okay, Lord, like you just wanted me to surrender in my heart to what you were proposing to me. And then you would send me what I wanted, which was a young man. And so I took it as a sign and started dating him. And he uh, knew about Franciscan University of Steubenville, and he knew I loved adoration and praise and worship. And so he brought me down to Steubenville from Detroit for a festival of praise. 
and um, he, he thought I would like it and I loved it. And I actually received my call. Uh, the Can you explain time. what a, uh, a FOP is, a festival of praise to the people yeah. who are not grannies? Yeah, so it's about 2000 college students, young adults, young, young people um, doing praise and worship, sometimes with adoration. Um, and then there's usually prayer teams during or after it. Um, and that was pretty much my first experience with charismatic praise and worship. Um, people were raising their hands and very excited and into it and joyful. And I was just kind of like, wow, like, where are we? And I'm, I'm not this into it. And I'm not this, um, I guess you could say joyful or holy about, you know, about this, but but I was very moved by it. I was moved to tears and um, I really loved it. And then afterwards we got prayed over and I didn't even know what getting prayed over was. Um, I saw people getting slain in the spirit or resting in the spirit, falling over and laying on their back, like kind of all over the chapel. And I was like, where are we? I thought this only happened on, you know, Baptist tele televangelist TV. Um, this is crazy. And, uh, but the young man I was dating got in line to get prayed over. And so, I was like, I'm not just going to sit here by myself. Like, this is weird. I'm getting in line. Stand <laughs> I don't want to be alone. So uh, when it was my turn to get prayed over, I was not. Wait, you guys to... didn't do the couple prayed over thing? No, no, no. We, we, it, we don't have the name so, you know. I'm, I'm teasing. That was always my least favorite thing at Franciscan, where a couple would be like, can you pray over us? And I was like, no, please stop. You're dating. You've been dating for like a week. Anyway, I'm sorry. Keep going. Yeah, so I go you know to what I'm talking about. Oh, totally. Um, I don't think I even told him my name, and I definitely didn't tell him what I wanted prayer for. But in my heart, my prayer was, Lord, do you want me to marry you, or am I supposed to marry this young man? So I was 27 at the 26 at the time, and um, yeah, it was two months of dating. I was kind of like, okay, am I wasting my time? Am I supposed to be single and discerning or, you know, is this where she's just telling this to me. So anyone who's listening at home, this is actually just for me. Who's 27. She's like, yeah, Brendan, when you date someone, you have two months. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, the girls praying over me did not know that my prayer was, you know, Lord, am I supposed to marry you or am I supposed to marry him? But they read me Isaiah 62, which says, as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your builder rejoice over you. So shall your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And Isaiah 62 verses one through six are just some of the most beautiful verses out there. And I was like, oh, Lord, you answered my prayer. I'm supposed to marry Bob because he's in construction. We always called him Bob the Builder. And you just said in the Bible, like, your builder shall marry you. I was like, this is awesome. Thank you for being so clear and telling me who I'm supposed to marry, even though I didn't really ask the people. And I, I but that verse was so beautiful. I go back to my hotel that night and read Isaiah 62 and something just came over me. It was like I was baptized in the spirit when they prayed over me and read the Bible to me. Um, I didn't know what that was or what that meant, but I could understand the scripture and I could see it for the first time. And I saw that it was a capital B, your builder, your maker, your creator shall marry you. And I was like, oh, shoot, I'm still supposed to become a nun. So I <laughs> my gut and I didn't tell anyone about it. And I kept dating him for a whole nother year because I didn't want to do that. And 
I wanted to be normal like everyone else and just get married and have a house and a dog and some kids and call it a day. But um, yeah, I, I knew what the Lord meant and I knew what he was saying to me. And um, honestly, during that dating relationship, I missed my alone time with the Lord um, because obviously you have to get, you know, you're working full time, you're playing, you know, women's professional football, and then you have to give time to this new person you're trying to get to know. And so I had less time for adoration or less time for just, yeah, alone time prayer. Um, and after a year of dating him, I knew the Lord was calling me to break up with him and be free of this. Um, but I didn't want to because I was 27 and didn't want to be alone and I didn't want to start over. But we went back to a festival of praise at that same month, a year later. And this time when I got prayed over, um, I started crying right away unceasingly for no reason when the women laid hands on me and prayed over me in tongues. And then I felt God the Father stick his hand inside my chest and pull out, remove every sin and impurity that I was holding onto as a roadblock of why I couldn't become a sister. And it was physically painful, physically exhausting, but I knew it was God touching me, so I also didn't want it to end. And then... Um, I saw God wrap me in a white fluffy blanket and the girls praying over me said, the Lord wants you to know he wraps you in his blanket. And I was like, I know I just saw that. And I had never had a prayer experience like this with images or anything. And, um, I fall down onto my knees at this point. I couldn't stand any longer. And the next thing I saw was a bride of Christ on her final vows day which I had never seen a nun on her final vows day. I had no idea what they looked like, but I knew what I was seeing. And she had a long white veil on, a crown of roses on her head, and a long white cape on. And she was kneeling before the Lord. And the Lord was walking, in a sense, towards me in the image. And I was like, oh, shoot. Oh, no. Here it comes. He's about to ask me to marry him. Like, this is it. And I just knew that that's what was coming. And the girls praying with me said, the Lord wants you to know that he is yours, and he wants to know, will you be his? And I was just like, Yes, how can I say no to God asking me to marry him? Um, it's hard enough to say no to someone else asking you to marry him. Uh, so at that point, I fell down on my ground, on the ground, on my face, and just like cried my eyes out um, because I, I knew at, from that point on, everything in my life was going to have to change. I was going to have to quit my job, break up with my boyfriend, tell everybody in the world how much I love Jesus, and you know, proclaim my faith, something I had kind of kept hidden and kept to myself. And um, so I kind of just wanted my life to end right there and just keep crying on the ground. Um, but the girls asked me to get up so they could finish praying over me. And the only thing I saw when I lifted my face up off the ground was the San Damiano cross, which is the same cross that is in St. Clair's Basilica in Assisi that spoke to St. Francis. And when I saw that cross, I was like, okay, Lord, you know what you're doing. You brought me full circle. This is where you first called me was in front of this cross. And um yeah, I can do this basically in you. And the girls praying over me said, the Lord wants something amazing with your life. Um, and I said, I know, whatever you guys know, I know. <laughs> and I broke up with my boyfriend that night in Steubenville. And I told the Lord that I would never come back to the city of Steubenville in my life because it was such a traumatic event because I thought I was going to marry him. And two weeks later, I become aware of the Franciscan TORs because they were on um, EWTN. And I had prayed to the Lord at mass, Lord, I don't know what to look for. I don't know where I'm supposed to join or what I'm supposed to do, but show me the color of the veil so that I know which sisters I'm supposed to look at. 
which is kind of a dumb question because most orders all have a black veil, which I didn't even know that. So I said that prayer, came home from mass, turned on my TV, obviously turned on EWTN first. And then if nothing was on, I would turn on ESPN. So turn on EWTN. <laughs> I kind of like the reverse of that, but it's good that you're yeah. holier. <laughs> well, it was, yeah, it was a holy thing to, to start with because, you know, I was trying to break free of addictions, you know. So... Um, <laughs> So I turn it on and the Franciscan TOR sisters are on the TV. And I was like, Lord, you're not just showing me the color of the veil. You're showing me the sisters. And normally when I would see religious sisters, I would look for one thing that I didn't like about them and be like, nope, not joining them. And when I looked at our sisters, looked at our website, everything, they had everything I was looking for. And there was nothing I could be like, nope, don't like that. So, um, yeah, two weeks later, the Lord was like, you know, you might be going back to the city of Steubenville. (laughs) So I uh, visited four different communities across the globe, um, all different orders, all different spiritualities, because I had no idea um, who I wanted to join or, or what, what the Lord wanted from me. But when I visited the Franciscan TORs, it just felt like home. It felt like I could spend the rest of my life there. And yeah, I just knew that that's where the Lord was calling me to. Um, and so joined when I was 29, made final vows summer of 2018. And um I've been working, yes, that was an awesome day, best day of my life, and been working down at Florida State University for the past four years as a campus minister, and love my job, love getting to work with young people, and teaching them how to pray, doing spiritual direction, and just mentoring them, and loving them, and yeah, teaching, and giving talks, and also doing mission trips when there's not a pandemic. Mm. What a beautiful story. Truly. And, and so when you joined, um, were you, how long were you at Franciscan or working at the, with the university? I've actually never worked at Franciscan or or lived on campus. Okay. Just the local community. Yeah. But I I was in Steubenville and at our mother house in Toronto, which is right by Steubenville for eight years um, before I moved down to Florida. So yeah, connected with the poor in downtown Steubenville and with mission trips at Franciscan. I was the chaplain of the women's basketball team for a couple of years at Franciscan. And yeah, just loved going up there to interact with people. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Well, what a, I mean, truly what a beautiful story. I think this will, um, I think this is a perfect segue for episode one to episode two. So episode one can be your story. Episode two can be Q&A. Um, so anyone listening, now you've kind of come to hear the story of Sister Rita Claire. What a beautiful story. Um, and it's just, I mean, in my mind, as I listen, because you've shared some of that with me before, um, but a lot of it is new. And it's just, it's crazy how the Lord works. To anyone who's listening at home, I'm always um, inspired by men and women's, um, you know, calling, how the Lord kind of invites us in in the most um, crazy ways, honestly, with so many people. It's like, how the heck did I get here? And I'm sure based on what you just shared with me and and the people listening, there's that, you know, that response of how the heck did I get here? And yet the Lord so clearly made it known to you, even when, you know, seemingly at times it was, you know, you trying to not listen, which I think we all do, um, unless you're way holier and then good for you, but I don't know too many people like that. Um, 
but there's there was beauty in all of that. I mean, even to the point I loved your like how the heck did you even end up in a CC, you know, in the first place? Like, sure, your mom invited you, but you know, you just hear the 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 worldliness and then the spiritual side, like you were not you weren't discrediting yourself, but you're talking about how you're going to pray before the blessed sacrament and then you're partying. And I hear you praying and I'm like, well, look, there's a lot of good people who don't get drunk and they never spend a minute in front of our Lord. And I, I mean, I just think, and you know this already, so I'm not talking to you, but I'm talking to people at home. If you're hearing this story and you're finding yourself in that same position, finding yourself in certain senses, always drawn to the confessional, but going to the Lord in prayer, that's a good spot to be. Uh, and not to say that we shouldn't look to root out our sin, but there's some, there's beauty in, in the encounter and there's beauty in drawing yourself into him. And then the humility that comes with that, which I'm sure you can attest to, you know, the Lord in his goodness and mercy was still very present in your life, even though you struggled to be all in, or, you know, maybe you weren't accepting the graces, but at the same time, when it comes to our sin, you know, there's, there's great examples of saints who struggled um, that are still saints. You know, one of my favorites is St. Mark Jeong. The man was an opioid addict for his whole life. It doesn't mean if, you know, if you're struggling with addictions or whatever, um, it doesn't mean that you can't come free of it, but that man literally from the day that he started using opioids till his um, death when he was a martyr, uh, still struggled with it, and yet is now in the analogs of the the great saints because he accepted the graces in that moment. Um, so anyway, I just, I hear your story and I'm like, especially the part of Assisi, I think there's people at home who are probably like me saying like, how, how does someone end up in Assisi and yet, you were open, you were docile, even if it wasn't all in, you were docile in a way that your humility, the Lord was able to connect with and bring you there and look at you now, you know, doing, doing the Lord's work. So yeah, anyway, I, I, I got to meet John Paul, this, well, I guess see him at an audience the day before John Paul II, it was like six months before he died. And then, which I think there was a lot of grace there and just him passing by me because I received my call for the first time that next day. And then like I said, because I was in sin, I went to confession that next morning, and that was right before we went to go see St. Peter's Bones under um, mm. under the Basilica, St. Peter's Basilica. So, yeah, talk about grace, like, that's where my penance was, was to go pray in front of St. Peter's Bones um, that next day. And Oh, the Scavi yeah, tour. Yeah, the Scavi tour. I would go to... Um, adoration before I went out to the bar and one of my goals at the beginning was to try to be able to still read my bible every night before I went to bed from after coming home so like don't get too drunk that you can't read your bible but yeah drinking alcoholism it's a progressive disease so that definitely did not stick uh, after a while um, but yeah little 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 steps always yeah but I mean the the realization that you came to in your life of you know I think um the beauty of, of your story, you know, and, and just with uh, your pursuit, you know, it's always, it, I'm always just shocked by people who, you know, 
I look at myself and I say, okay, I've been blessed in X, Y, Z ways and I still suck. And I hear people who have been given a lot less and yet do a lot more. And it just always edifies me to, <laughs> to try to pursue it a little harder because I know I'm going to be culpable if I don't uh, get there. And and I would say probably on your end, you probably felt that in your life. You know, there was something drawing you into a greater um, relationship with him that maybe you um, resisted for a bit, but at the same time, you could only resist it so much because truth is truth and grace is grace. And it, it works in our lives, even if we're just giving him that smallest amount, you know, and he just kind of once, once you give him that little bit, he'll, uh, he'll take it and he'll run with it because he's that good. Yeah. And tr- I mean, I'm sure he was calling me in high school and college, but I wasn't listening and didn't give him that time of day. And like, like I said, once I had that reversion and when I was 23, like I said, giving him a little crack and it just started yeah, blowing open and the Lord doesn't stop at, you know, little bits. He wants it all. And so, um, mm. so I discovered when I started giving him little bits is, um, that wasn't ever, ever enough. He wanted all of me. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying anything you said is wrong. I think it's right. But he's able to use that, you know, the things that you struggled with, even though it would be nice to say like, oh, maybe I wish I had heard the calling earlier. He's so good that he then is able to utilize those things and give himself or give glory to what he wants to share with us through your struggles. Now, when you're meeting with college students, you're better able to sympathize and empathize with them by sharing your past struggles and able to say to them, look, the grace is there to persevere through these things. And you can come to love him in a deeper way. And you're not defined by your sins in a way that you might not have been able to do had that not been a part of your life before. Yeah, so. no doubt. No doubt he's used that so much. The first time I went back to confession, the priest um, he said, pray for freedom. And he said, pray that the Lord exploit you. And I was like, freedom? Like, I am free. I'm hooking up with guys and drinking. Like, that's free. Coming in this box and saying this to you is not free. And then also exploit. He's like, you've let the world and other people exploit you. He's like, why don't you try letting God exploit you and use you? And like, yeah, that was 2003. So you know, almost 20 years later, how much the Lord has used me and how much I've come to understand the true definition of freedom. Um, it's just amazing. And I get to share that yeah, with others. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I will let that be the conclusion of part one of this podcast. Um, so anyone listening, I will stop talking, but uh, tune in the next week to hear part two. Thanks, guys. And God bless. God bless.